Good morning. Thanks, Zach, for letting me be here, and AJ for the warm introduction. Um, like you said, my name's Cameron Michael. I grew up in Fremont, the hometown of Loki, or Loki's girlfriend, or I don't know, something. See, First Service apparently doesn't watch Disney+, Plus because nobody laughed. Um, and like, like AJ said, I uh, went to Grace um, in Fremont and worked actually for the church after college and seminary. Um, and with their support, in 2017, I became a chaplain. And with my wife and kids, we've been going wherever the Army sent us since then. Um, in some ways, I, I, I still represent Grace as our home church and the fellowship of churches that we're a part of. Um, that's actually one of the reasons we're, I'm here today, uh, is that fellowship of churches, uh, which you may be familiar with, like Kalahari, the winter retreat kind of deal where we get together with other churches. Uh, that group of churches is meeting for their annual conference in Indiana this week. Um, so we will be heading over there tomorrow uh, to do that. Um, we currently live near, my wife and kids and I live near Augusta, Georgia, home of the Masters Golf Tournament. Um, yeah, and Fort Gordon, where the Army does all their cyber and signal stuff. I don't do anything like that. If I'm lucky, my computer will turn on every day. That's, that's as cyber as I get. My computer works. Um, but I have gotten to do some, some kind of cool things as a chaplain, right, where you kind of mix the, like the cool army stuff and like the cool God stuff, and, and you have Bible studies at 50 caliber ranges and buses and rainstorms. And um, the army's taken me to the, you know, the shores of the Rio Grande where I've led a Bible study in Kuwait, had, had services and stuff like that. Um, to answer the most common question that, that chaplains probably get, um, if the people volunteer to be there, right, like you voluntarily are here this morning, as, as soldiers, I get to talk about whatever I want to, right? If, if they don't have to be there, I can say whatever I'd want. If they, you know, about Jesus, God, all of that, just like I would here. Um, if they are forced to be there, I'm still allowed to pretty much say what I want to. It's just more of a matter of be respectful and understand that they had to be there, and there's many different religions, many different faiths, many atheists in that group, and be nice to them as you would want them to be nice to you. Um, and at no point is there anything like, hey, you have to do this, which would clearly go against my beliefs. In fact, that's one of the reasons where like, grace comes into play. The church, if I started to do stuff because the army made me, grace could very easily get me fired by saying, hey, he no longer represents us. We're pulling our, it's, it's an endorsement. We're, 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 we don't want him in the army representing us and I would be gone. So that's kind of a protection of me and my beliefs and, and, our, and our faith. Um, this morning, we're going to continue to look at the five solas that Pastor Zach started last week, right? Looking at scripture alone as the foundation of faith. This morning, we'll look at faith alone. Uh, just to run through them quickly, we're saved through, according to scripture alone, we're saved through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, right? And that's what the video was. So this morning, we're looking at how we're saved through faith alone. Um, if you'd like, you can open your Bibles to Hebrews 11, as we'll see that we are saved through faith alone, by grace alone, but not by a faith that is alone. So we're saved through faith alone, by grace alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Um, and and what, what is faith? It can be kind of hard to wrap our minds around it. It's kind of a, a nebulous term. Uh, what is, how do we know we have faith? How do you know somebody else has faith? What does it mean to have faith in a man who lived 2,000 years ago. What does that look like? That's what we're gonna kind of look at this morning. Um, again, Hebrews 11, I think it'll be on the screen too, uh, verse one. Now faith 
is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Maybe that doesn't really clear it up much, but that's as close as the Bible kind of gets to a definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1. We're we're assured, we, we know the reality is that the things we hope for, and we'll get into what we are to hope for later because that matters, we, we ha- that those hopes are real. They will be fulfilled. There is proof of what is not yet seen. It will come about. And as it comes about, our actions change. And even before it comes about, knowing that it will come about, we're, we're so convicted of it that the way we live our lives changes. I've spent some time with a parachute on my back, and if you know anything about military-grade materials, don't buy a Ford. Because right, that's, their, that's their sales pitches. It's all military grade. Yeah, yeah, no. um, military grade planning, military grade material, you don't want anything to do with it. And so, military grade planning for a parachute airborne operations means I spend about 90 times, 90 times the length that I need to with a parachute on my back with the hope, with the proof, the belief, the faith that when I jump out of the plane, the parachute will open behind me. But like I said, instead, we spit there for a few hours. The Air Force decides it's actually it's too sunny to fly today. We're just going to go golfing. The plane scratched. We take our parachute off. We get back pain, but but our proof was never put into faith. Our our proof our faith was never proven. Our faith was never put into action because we never actually got out of the airplane. The parachute never opened. Right? Our faith is often misplaced. We come up to failures, disappointments, and heartbreaks regularly. That doesn't mean faith is bad. That doesn't mean that faith is wrong. We need to remain assured of what we hope for. We need to remember that that it's proof it will come to pass as we focus on the things of God, right? Again, where we place our faith matters. I don't know how familiar you are with the southern United States, but it rains a lot uh, on the southeast coast of America in the summertime because it's hot and humid. But my phone, right, like it's not like a storm system coming through. So my phone will tell me, if I looked at it right now, that it's going to be sunny all day. And I know that's garbage. It is going to rain at some point between 3 and 6 this afternoon at home. I don't care what the phone says. The phone is wrong. My faith is in my experience that it rains every day in Georgia during the summer. It's just, you know, it's hot and humid. It pops up and it pours for 10 minutes and then it's done. My phone doesn't pick the 10 minutes up. So my faith isn't in the app. My faith is in my experience. Where you place your faith matters. I no longer spend any time. I never will put a parachute on again because I put my faith in the wrong things, right? The training that said, hey, if you keep your feet and knees together after you jump out of a plane, everything else doesn't matter. You'll be fine. So there we were, which is the only way to start, start an army story. About three years ago, beautiful day, a little windy, which is all right, except, you know, if it's too windy and they, like, make up numbers, because if it's too windy, you're not supposed to jump at all, so they'll, like, you know, fudge the wind, and then you end up with a bunch of concussions and twisted ankles, and so we may have fudged the wind a little bit that day, um, and, and when I say jumping out of airplanes, I'm not talking about the cool, like, skydiving, or you went through, like, a two-day class, or you have somebody on your back, and they do all the work. Do that. That's great, and there you're jumping from, like, 10,000 feet, and you get, like, five minutes where you're just enjoying Seneca County, or I don't know if they do that at the airport here, but... Like, that's great. If you get the opportunity, do it. The military, you jump out at 1,000 feet, and the parachute is actually opened by the plane, 
and the, the jet engine blowing it open out the back door, and you land like a sack of potatoes. So that's what I'm talking about. So get out. Everything's going good. My parachute opens like it's supposed to, but it's a little windy. So the guy, like we jump out of both sides of the plane, and the guy on the other side, he didn't get it out well. His parachute didn't open correctly, and he's fighting it the whole time, and he gets his open, and then the wind catches it, and he ends up right under me. Well, heat rises, right? Like, that's what keeps the parachute inflated all the way down. And so his parachute's getting all of my wind, and there's no heat to rise up to fill mine, so mine starts to collapse, and I lawn dart into the ground for the last 75 or so feet. And to be honest, uh, my training probably was right. My feet and knees probably weren't together because I was freaking out because I knew it was going to hurt. <laughs> and so because I was freaking out because I knew it was going to hurt, it hurt to the point where I thought literally my foot had twisted like 180 degrees and immediately he started screaming for a medic and they come over and like, what's wrong? I'm like, it hurts. They're like, you're fine. Stop whining. Oh, wait, you've got a major cramp. Like, I can see your muscles spasming. You're just cramping. Like, I literally have a piece of paper in my wife's bedside drawer, like, right radiating muscle spasms. Yeah. So then they treated my cramp by letting me lay in the sun in North Carolina at a 95-degree day for an hour. And they go, oh, well, you're still cramping. Let's take you to the hospital. So I go to the hospital, and the ER doc walks in, sees my leg, because by this point, the hospital would cut my pants off. And literally, as he, he looks at my leg and goes, call the surgeon, walks out, and turns around and goes, well, and he's going to need to see an x-ray, so get an x-ray in here too, but call a surgeon, it's broken. And, and sure enough, my femur was like multiple pieces and shards, and, but two surgeries later, here I am, and I'm good. Still in the army. And, and God's faithfulness to me through it all has been incredibly clear. Um, my wife has a, a list of a couple pages of the way God has blessed us immediately after that. But so parachutes, training, those things can lay us down. Our faith in those may sometimes be misplaced. A little closer to home, right? At times, our families, our spouses, our children, our parents, our friends, our jobs, our churches will let us down. But if we place all of our faith in those things, we're going to be disappointed. I love my wife. She disappoints me sometimes. I mean, I'm not going to give any examples of that because I'm not an idiot, but... <laughs> And the truth is, sometimes we may feel disappointed putting our faith in God because God doesn't answer our hopes the way we want him to, the way we expect him to, or a lot of times he doesn't answer our hopes when we expect him to, when we want him to, and it takes him a little longer. But ultimately, our faith isn't trust based on our wants. Our faith is in that according to Scripture alone, the promises of Scripture alone, we are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, by Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Faith is not some sort of name it and claim it magic. Right? Biblical faith isn't, I'm going to speak this into the universe and all my hopes and dreams are going to come true. Biblical faith is accepting the reality that God has created and the promises he's given us in his word. So I have faith that I am a child of God. I have faith, I have proof that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for his followers because he's told me he's gone to prepare a place for his followers and he'll come back and take us there. I know the reality is I have an eternal soul that will, that will spend forever somewhere. We have those things because we have confidence in God and his word and we act on the convictions so that we have 
Faith, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone, which leads to the actions. And so that's kind of, you know, that's what faith is. But I think like many things in life, it's best understood when it's seen. And that's what comes next after Hebrews. So Hebrews 11.1 1 gives a definition. And then really the rest of Hebrews chapter 11 is example after example after example after example from the history of Israel of people who lived by faith. And we're not going to go through the whole chapter, but we're going to look at a couple of these examples. Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. Even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. So Cain and Abel, like way back at the beginning of Genesis, they're like the first two children born on earth to Adam and Eve. And they grow up a little bit and they're making sacrifices to God one day. And Abel's is accepted and he's righteous and his faith is clear in his sacrifice. And Cain is told, no, that's not actually a sacrifice by faith. That's not what I want. And we don't know the details in that. But what we do know is that Abel's sacrifice was by faith and Cain's wasn't. And Cain, rather than responding appropriately to that and learning, like, well, I need to be more like my brother, kills his brother. Because that's an appropriate response to, why can't you be more like your brother? It's just, well, if he's dead, I'll be better than him. So, but that's where he went. But the point is, Abel sacrificed appropriately because he had faith. Jumping down, Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, motivated by his godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. And by faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Right? So Noah built an ark. Why? Because God told him to. And the entire time he's building it, and we're told it takes years, decades, he's being mocked. He's being ridiculed. He's being laughed at by his neighbors. Why would you do that? Why are you wasting so much time? Don't you have anything better to do? No, I don't, because this is what God told me to do. And he continued by faith, because God told him it was going to flood. And he didn't sit there and, well, what's that even mean? What does that look like? He just, he obeyed in faith. And not only did his actions then save his family, but they continued to cast condemnation on the rest of the world who mocked him for that faith. Abraham, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going, by faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of that same promise. So Abraham moved across the desert. He had been a very successful, prosperous businessman. And, and he, he put it away, and he moved because God told him to. God didn't even necessarily tell him where he was going. And there was no GPS to get him there. He just followed God. I don't know if you've ever moved across the country or, you know, significantly not from, like, one house down, down the street to another house. Like, I mean, that still stinks and is a lot of work. But, but moving across the country, in a lot of ways, is an act of faith. There's a lot of question marks there. What do I, what do we do? Where do we, who are my friends? Where are my kids going to go to school? Where am I going to go to church? You got this long list. Of, and you're like, God, I'm trusting you to do this. I, I was talking to a soldier a couple, last week, who was literally told, hey, you, you have three weeks to move from Georgia to North Carolina. And I don't know how much you're paying attention. Like, house price at the housing market right now is terrible if you're trying to get into a house. Finding movers to help with that is terrible right now if you're trying to move. And he's a, he's a, he's a very good, he, he loves God. He's a good Christian. Um, and he's like, well, God's going to take care of it because he's taken care of it for the last 25 years and all the moves the army sent me on. But, but I don't know how he's going to do it this time because I've got three weeks to figure it all out. And here we are. Let's go. Moving is an act of faith. And, and for Abraham, it definitely was. 
There are lots of pieces in a move and, and in many parts of life, right, where if you have the eyes to see, you can see God at work in your life. You can see how God's blessing you. We can also miss that and, and get mad about it instead. But Abraham responded in faith. Jumping down to verse 13, Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, although they had not yet received the things that were promised. They saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Now those who say such things make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abel, Noah, Abraham, they all died without ultimately receiving the reward of their faith. And they were okay with that. They had opportunities to turn back. Abraham didn't have to continue on the move because the desert's hot and I'm going to just go back home. Noah could have listened to his neighbors who were mocking him and said, oh, you guys are right. This is dumb. What am I doing? I'm wasting my time. They didn't have to continue in faith, and yet they did because they knew the promises of God were worth it. While they lived, they knew God by faith alone, but their faith was not alone. Their faith was evident. It requires action. Maybe you remember a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago maybe now, you guys went through the book of James. James 2.17 tells us faith if it does not have works, is dead. Abraham died without really beginning to see the fulfillment, right? God's promised to Abraham, you'll have descendants like the sand on the seashore. He died, he had, you know, like a grandkid. But he had faith that God would fulfill those, and he moved. When he moved, he had no kids. But God told him, hey, you're gonna have a nation if you move, and he did. Abel died pretty much immediately after his sacrifice. But he still sacrificed. He still had that faith. Noah lived, you know, lived through the flood, and the result of his act of faith was incredible PTSD for him and his family, and picking up the pieces of a world that had been flooded. But he had the faith, and know that this is what God's calling me to. We're here because he had faith. And like I said, Hebrews 11, is a, I'd encourage you to go back and, and read, like you want a recap of the entire Old Testament, Hebrews chapter 11. Give it to you pretty quickly. It's just person after person after person in their Old Testament and, and how their life was marked by faith as a challenge to us because faith without works is dead. These men and, and the women in Hebrews 11 put their faith into action and it showed up in their lives. That's one reason why it's important for us to have faithful examples in our life today, right? Because I can fairly confidently say if Abraham was alive today, he'd be a faithful follower of God. I have no idea what that life would look like. Because he lived, you know, 6,000 years ago. I mean, he would have been a faithful follower of God, but I don't know what that means. But I do know what it means for people that I've seen live a faithful life following God, right? I know what it means, what it looks like for, for some of my mentors from college to have walked with God for 80 years and, and been a missionary for, for, in Germany for decades and been a professor and what that means. I know what it means for Jason Southern and Billy Graham, two chaplain mentors, to faithfully follow God in uniform and, and faithfully love God and love people while serving as, as chaplains. I know even more about what it means for Pastors Kevin and Pastor Tim in Fremont and how they've walked with God for almost 80 years. This is what Hebrews 12.1 tells us. Hebrews 12.1 you know, again, they've gone through this list of the heroes of ancient Israel. Therefore, 
since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Since we have a large cloud of witnesses, he's talking about the heroes of ancient Israel, and those, those still count as witnesses for us today too. But we have more modern ones too, hopefully, who allow us and tell us how to move past sin and run the race towards Jesus in faith. Because the world has always been messy. Mess is constant, but what it means to live in faith in that mess has changed a lot over centuries and millennia. One of the interesting parts of my job as a chaplain is that while I'm a soldier, I am a non-combatant. And that means all sorts of things, but, but you know, primarily what it means is I don't have a weapon. I don't touch a weapon in uniform. I'm not issued a weapon. I don't, I don't fire a weapon at the range. I don't qualify on weapons. There's no weapons in my, in my work. I've never seen combat, but a few years back, we had a call, my unit, hey, we need you to go from where you're at to the Middle East, and you've got like 10 days to do it, which is not normal. And so because it's not normal, we're all like super excited, like, hey, this is going to be cool, which, you know, is army for we're going to go shoot people and blow stuff up. <clears throat> and so, you know, nine days later, we're 150 of us loading onto a plane, 149 weapons, and me going, I don't know what to do with my hand for these pictures because I don't have a weapon to hold on to, and it's all awkward and weird. Chaplains see combat. They get shot at. Chaplains have died at war. Chaplains have earned the Medal of Honor. But none of those medals were passed out because a chaplain took down a bunch of machine gun nests. They were, they were earned without firing a shot. Maybe you've seen, it was probably about five years ago now, the movie Hacksaw Ridge. That wasn't a chaplain, it was a medic. But that, right, he's climbing and he's pulling, pulling his friends out from under fire. I mean, that's kind of you know, where the chaplain comes in. I, and I don't say this to make you realize how lame my job is. There are two reasons I don't get to be armed. The first one is a bunch of legal jargon that you guys don't care about, and honestly, I don't really care about, and in a lot of ways, our enemies don't care about either, which is a problem, but, but the second reason, it creates a very real distinction. In those moments, we clearly have the opportunity to, to demonstrate our faith as men and women of God. We trust God. We're, we're, I mean, we have, in combat, we have a bodyguard. And some of them are very good, and some of them are not so good. But, but ultimately, we're there to represent God in the middle of the conflict, to, to remind our soldiers of God's presence, even, even then. Pointing to God as a part of that, we become a part of that cloud of witnesses for others, saying, he's still worthy. And, and that's the common theme of, of the chaplains who have received the Medal of Honors, doing ministry, providing last rites, praying with soldiers who are dying on a, on a battlefield, risking their own lives and all, often dying as well because they were, they were caring for the soldiers and preparing them to meet their maker very soon. And, and, that, and that's it. Ultimately, not only do we need to have a cloud of witnesses showing us how to live by faith, but we need to become a part of the cloud of witnesses for others, showing them how to live by faith, whether, whether that's, you know, the younger people coming up behind us showing them how to live by faith, or even, you know, people who are now going through something I've been through before. It, it never fails. Like, I, literally, I was out in the hallway between services, and a lady comes up and had a cane. She's like, I broke my femur four months ago. Thanks for letting me know there's hope. Right? And she was older than me by quite a bit, 
But I've been there, I've done it, and here I am. And, you know, so I'm able to, right, you don't, but a part of the cloud of witnesses that says, you know, God can get you through this. Here's how you handle these situations with faith. And through the way chaplains go to war, we show that our faith is in something higher than ourselves. But how do you exercise your faith, you know, when you're not being shot at? How do, you, how, do you, how do we exercise our faith in Tiffin, Ohio? Going back to James, we see some practical ideas on how to show our faith, the actions that come from having faith. James 1.22 tells us, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is where he talks about, right, like the next couple of verses are, then you're like somebody who looks in a mirror and immediately forgets what you look like and you're wasting your time, right? It's, it's good to come to church. It's good to read your Bible, but, but if you're not going to do anything out of it, there's only a little bit of good. Well, ultimately, we read this to, to know how to live in faith, to do what it says. James 1.27, here's one of the things it says. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You know, practice your faith, care for the needy. Period. There's, there's no way around that. That's not just James. That's throughout the Bible. Care for the needy. Care for the oppressed. Here he also calls us to, that our faith is put into action by remaining unstained from the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. In some ways, that's, that's my job. I'm in the army, but I'm not of the army. Right? I don't go through basic training. I don't get the weapon. And that's, that's my challenge for, a lot, for, for you guys today be in the world, but not of the world. And I'm not telling you to go be holier than thou and like push Jesus into their brains and like force feed stuff. Nobody, no, that, that, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that as you live a life of faith in Christ, you will naturally, you should naturally live differently. You, your language will be different. The way you treat others will be different. The way you work will be different. The, your, your, your purity, what it means to, to be you know, a good person will look different than the world. Even Paul, right, and you'll talk more about this passage next week, so here's a little taste of what it means to be saved by grace alone, but Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, verse 8. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is God's gift not from works, so that no one can boast. So that's verses eight and nine. You're saved by grace through faith, and even the faith is an act of grace from God to allow you to have faith. But then verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We're saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. The order matters, right? I'm not saying, I haven't said, do all this good stuff so that you can be saved. I'm saying, because you have faith, because you're saved, because Christ has died for you, you will do all these things. And so if you're sitting there today going, well, I don't know that, you know, he talked about how I should be different than coworkers and stuff, and I'm not. Like, I'm, I blend in perfectly. This even means, like, I'm not even telling you, like, try harder. I'm telling you, like, Go back to God more. Be filled with him, and it will pour out of you. 
We are saved through faith alone, by grace alone, but not by faith that is alone. Because if the grace of God has changed our lives, it will lead to actions. If I understand the reality of the promises of God, including way more, but you know, I listed those first few, right? Like we're children of God, we'll live forever, on and on. My life will live, I will live my life differently now, right? I will deploy to a combat zone without a weapon because I have faith that even if I die, I'm good with that. That's where God's called me to be. You will help your elderly neighbor mow his yard even though he spends every other day yelling at your children to get off of that yard, right? Mow that guy's yard. Unless he tells you to get off your yard, then you're, then you're excused. But, right? You will ensure that your coworkers notice in a good way that you're just a little different. Because of your faith, you will raise kids to put God first, right? Understanding that they're not likely to be the next Jacob Wookiee. They're not going to become a professional athlete. And, and again, like the reason like you, we've talked about Jake a few times, like because he puts God first. Raise kids that put God first, not sports, not even school. You use money in a way to glorify God alone. Your entertainment choices will glorify God alone. So full disclosure, I've never seen Loki. I don't know if the show is garbage or not. I just saw the picture on Facebook that said they were in Fremont. I, I don't get, so I've never seen it, so maybe it is a good show. I don't know. But our entertainment choices should glorify God. I have many conversations with people who tell me they'd never go to church. Actually, they usually say something more along the lines of, if I ever stepped into a church building, God would kill me on the spot. And I'm like, that's not how that works, but whatever. And, but they have no problem talking to me, right? Because they trust me. That's a good thing. I want them to trust me. And, and they'll talk to me about all sorts of stuff. They'll talk to me about issues they're having with whatever, their family. They'll talk to me about God. They'll talk to me about Jesus. They'll talk to me about religion. They're not going to church. Maybe after the conversation, they will. There are people like that in Seneca County. People who are a long way from ever being willing to come here. People who would, who would, you know, if they ran into Zach at a grocery store, maybe they talk to him, say hi, but like they'd never have a real conversation because he's a pastor and he's different. And I don't want to get the Jesus cooties. But they're your family, they're your friends, they're your coworkers, and they just might talk to you if your faith isn't alone and it comes with a life change. It comes with those actions. And again, take a small step. And that first step is turning back to God, who gives you the strength and the energy to have that faith. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. If your relationship with God is based on Scripture alone, the result is faith alone, which is based on the fact the, the reality, the knowledge, the proof in your own hearts and minds that God's promises are true. Knowing these truths will change the way we live. We celebrated communion this morning, which means we get to look back. We, we have even more assurance that those promises are true because we look back at a risen Savior. Abraham, Noah, Abel, the rest of Hebrews 11, they were looking forward in the hope that one day a Savior would come, and that's what they were placing faith in. We get to 
put faith in, in a person we know has come. And in his promises and the grace which he offers freely to us through our faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for your grace, which allows this all to be possible. We thank you for, for Christ and his sacrifice, which allows us to be saved through faith alone, because we could never work hard enough to earn it. And so you give it as a gift. But help us to remember also that, that while we're saved by faith alone, because of your grace alone, we're not saved by faith that is alone. And that true faith will, will result in in changed behavior will result in different actions in our lives. Help us to be men and women who, who clearly demonstrate you as we go into the community and into the world. Not because we work harder, but because we're so full, full of you and your spirit that you are what naturally pours out of us. It's in your name we pray.